Well, welcome to our equipping hour class on the Pilgrim's Progress. I'm very excited for our time together. Uh, just thankful for how the Lord has used this book for almost, what, 350 years, right? Uh, coming up on that. So pray that it'll be a profitable time. Just so you guys know, if you've never had an equipping hour with me, as most of you had, uh, I'm a pretty laid-back guy. So if at any point you have questions or you want to make a point or something like that, that is, if you want to make a point that's going to be helpful to the class, not just because you want to make a point to make a point, um, please feel free to do that. Um, you're not going to hurt my feelings or anything like that. If you have questions you want to ask at the end, I'm more than happy to, to answer them. But yes, this is a, a class that I mentioned, I think, just kind of casually several months ago. People were like, oh, that'd be really good. That'd be really good. I've read Pilgrim's Progress, and I just don't see what the big fuss is. Or it's like, yeah, that'd be good to go over it again. So um, I'm excited for that. So I want to just give a couple... One introductory remark, actually, then we'll jump in. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, we all know him, he said this about Pilgrim's Progress. He said, next to the Bible, the book that I value most is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And I imagine I may have read that through perhaps a hundred times. It is a book of which I never seem to tire, but then the secret of that is, is that John, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is the Bible in another shape. It is the same heavenly water taken out of the same well of the gospel. He would go on to say that, I think I put this on your notes, that it's almost as if, if, you, would, if you would prick you know, John Bunyan, what would he bleed? He would bleed the Bible. Um, he had very high praises for John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress. So, like I said, the highest of praises from Spurgeon. If Spurgeon thinks it's good, that means maybe we should look at it, right? It's like, okay, it's probably got something to it if it is by far his favorite book. So, we'll jump into that this morning. Just to let you know, we're, we're probably not going to get like anywhere in the book, which that's okay, because that way it gives you time to get the book if you don't have it. Um, so, so don't panic. You're not going to get behind this morning. Just kind of want to set the scene and the introduction this morning. Before we do that, let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servants uh, throughout history that we see in Scripture from Moses to Joshua to men like Paul in the New Testament and Lord throughout church history. Men like Augustine and John Calvin and John Bunyan and faithful men and women today. Thank you for those who have gone before us, who have left us an example of faithfulness and what that looks like. I pray that as we study Pilgrim's Progress, that it would be rich in its biblical content, that we would be um, moved by the truths that it teaches that accord with Scripture. I pray that you would bless this time, even this morning, as we begin to look uh, at this book and understand who John Bunyan was in his context, they would all be for your glory. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So let me go through a couple of housekeeping items before we kind of jump into the introduction. So um, it's actually, I still don't even know this morning what this class is going to look like. When I had initially planned this, it's like, okay, I've got like 13 weeks and there's nothing on the calendar. There's, it's just going to be great. We're just going to go through this 13 weeks. And it's like, okay, one thing pops up. And then another thing pops up. Okay, we're going to need your class for this. And then, okay, you might have to go to uh, Uganda to teach for Mike for three weeks. And then now maybe you don't. Like, it's just all these things. Which even this morning, it's like, I don't even know what's going on. Okay. So here's the plan. We were going to go through this boom, 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 just 13 weeks in a row. That's not going to happen. Okay. I know that for a fact. Um. Probably what will end up happening is we'll take like, it'll probably be like eight or nine weeks. There might be a long break. If that happens, we're probably just going to pick back up in the fall, okay? Because I'd rather do like eight weeks, take a solid break, and then do like 12 weeks in the spring rather than try and cram it in 
or do like eight and then a little break and then do like 10 more or something like that, okay? So just stay tuned because I actually don't know what's going to happen. In a little break My wife doesn't either. Class. What? Sorry. Yes, there will, there will be classes going all the time. So it's not like there's going to be nothing. Um, but, and it kind of depends on this too. It could be, you know, like, you know, Pilgrim's Progress is just like, you know, nails on a chalkboard to you guys. And you're just like, please get this class over with. I, I'm, I'm just, I can't hang anymore. And if that's the case, we'll just end sooner. But if it's, it is the case, which I think it will be, that it's going to be real engaging and we can go off on side trails, we can go down Bypath Meadow. Have any of you, got, you don't want to go down Bypath Meadow, okay. Uh, but if you go down, uh, you know, a rabbit trail, that's fine. We can just pick up with it. So I'd, I'd rather do that where we're not pressed for time, okay. So, so that's the plan. So just stay tuned. I don't know what's going to happen. It's all in the Lord's province. Okay, so I just had to let you know because I don't even know what's going to happen. Okay, a word on the book. And I actually have a couple of book giveaways this morning, okay? Pilgrim's Progress is the second most, best as we can understand, the second most printed book in the English language, second only to the Bible, okay? So that's a lot, by the way. That's a lot. Um, With that being the case, there's a lot of editions. Goodreads is a website I use to track my reading. It has over 6,000 editions of Pilgrim's Progress, which that's quite a few, okay? And that's a lot of different languages and stuff like that. I think it's been translated over 200 different languages too. Uh, So with that in mind, you know, it's like, okay, turning your page to Pilgrim's Progress, we might all have different editions, okay? So here's what I'm saying. Here's the edition that I recommend, okay? The Pilgrim's Progress uh, edited by Barry Horner, okay? Barry Horner was a pastor. I think he just recently passed away, Um, but he was a Bunyan enthusiast. He would travel to churches and do, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, Bunyan seminars and stuff like that. I put the link on the back of your notes, okay? So if you're like, I, I can't write that down. There's a link. And if you're like, I don't want to type that in, just text me, okay? You're not bothering me. Text me, email me. I can just send you the link, okay? As a matter of fact, you can text me right now so you don't forget. Text me, email me. Becky has a question. Are there more notes? Because a lot of people came in. There are no notes on the back table? There should be some. I printed like 65-ish. Tom's got some on the back. Yes. I'll try and print some more next time. But yeah, the, the link is there. You can just type that in, use that, or you can, uh, again, like I said, just text or email me. Uh, one of the reasons why I really like this edition is that one of the reasons, people, one of the reasons why people don't read Pilgrim's Progress is because the English is antiquated. They pick up an original edition, they're like, I can't do this. By the way, yes, you can. You just need to work hard at it, okay? You can do it. You can read it. But what he does is he uh, updates the language without sacrificing the meaning uh, and a lot of the, the, I would say, the beauty of the text. Um, and without sacrificing the meaning, he makes it applicable, okay? So that's what I would recommend uh, if you're looking for a faithful, simple, easy-to-read rendition. On this point, I would highly recommend, I would pretty much be dogmatic, if you're not going to get this edition, you need to get an edition that has Bunyan's Notes. Bunyan's notes and his scripture references, okay? I bought an edition for my wife that I didn't know until afterwards. It doesn't even have those. And I was like, oh my goodness, throw it in the trash. Um, I was so mad. Uh, I would pretty much just say, just get this edition. Because his note, you, maybe you'll be reading, you're like, what is going on here? Like, I, I don't really know what's being said. Well, often Bunyan will put, here's what I'm trying to say. He'll put explanatory notes or he'll put a scripture reference. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense, Okay. Another reason why I like Horner's edition is he adds his own scripture references and notes. So anything that's italicized is from Horner, as in he's supplying, I think he's probably alluding to this verse, or this is what he's trying to talk about. Anything that's not in italics, 
um, you know, just regular print, that's from Bunyan, okay? So if you guys have this edition, you'll see that uh, throughout. So that's another reason why I highly recommend this, okay? Uh, with that in mind, I have two of them, okay? And I'm willing to give them out to anyone. The only condition is, hold on, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, people. The only condition is you have to read this, and I will know who takes it. I still have a record of when I did the Puritans class, who took all those books. And you might not, he hasn't asked me about it. I will, okay, if you've read it, okay? So I'm giving two of these out. You have to read it. First two hands I see. Okay, HJ and Andrew. Okay, can, can, you, hand, can you hand those back? You guys were disqualified because you raised before I was done speaking, so, so, so that's, yeah, yeah, okay. So for, yeah, sorry, sorry, I should have, yeah, okay. We won't have any other giveaway. For what it's worth, I mean, the book, I think, is like 12 bucks um, on, on Amazon, so it's not that bad, okay? So consider yourselves lucky, okay? Another opportunity for you guys to go deeper in your Pilgrim's Progress studies. Um, Pastor Mike Riccardi down at Grace Community Church, during COVID, he actually did a, I think it's around 26 parts, and they're only around 20-minute videos. He did a devotional walkthrough of Pilgrim's Progress, okay? So he is a, a pastor of like mind. We, we love Mike Riccardi, what he does. And that's still all online. Okay, so I put that link also on the back of your notes. So if you want even more, you're like, this is so good. I want even more. You have that opportunity, okay? Um, same thing. You can type in that link or you can text me. You can email me. You all say, you know, whatever social media we're on. I'm not on, so don't talk to me there. But just text me. Get a hold of me. I'm more than happy to send that to you. And they're really good. I've listened to a couple of them. Okay. By way of introducing the book, I like to think through, you know, the who, what, when, where, why, how questions. We did this with the Puritans. It's helpful to step back and think, well, why should we even do this? Or what I want to begin with is how. How should we begin studying the Pilgrim's Progress? Okay, and you have these on your notes. Number one, and by far the most important, number one, we want to engage the text. We want to engage the book on its own terms. We want to focus on the passage at face value. What do I mean by that? Well, there are believers who have PhDs studying John Bunyan, and they have PhDs studying Pilgrim's Progress. There are also a lot of unbelievers who have PhDs uh, studying John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress, right? I mean, with it being that well-known and that well-published, you have all kinds of people looking at it simply from a literary point of view, right? I am not an English guy, okay? I just am not. For those of you who are in here, more power to you, okay? Uh, I just, you know, I'm not going to read Shakespeare at all. I think it's horrible. I've just, I'm sorry. This just pains your soul. But there are people who they look at it, oh, you know, the way he uses this poetic imagery and all this stuff is so beautiful and it's just amazing. Okay, sure, whatever, okay? Uh, I'm not doing that, okay? Uh, there's a time and place to do that. I'm thankful they do that. We simply want to engage the text at face value. We want to read Pilgrim's Progress the way John Bunyan intended it. He didn't intend it for PhDs to dissect and analyze. He meant it for the common reader, the layperson. Yes? It was my uh, understanding that he did not have any sort of education or degree. Yes. He wrote this out of his devotion to God. You're stealing my thunder. We were going to get there. Roger. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, yeah. John Bunyan was an uneducated tinker. You're like, what does that mean? He fixed pots and pans, okay? Like pretty lowest of low. Um, yeah, and so, 
Yes, thank you. Thank you, Roger. Um, yeah, so for our purpose, we just simply want to engage the text at face value, okay? You don't have to be an English scholar to read Pilgrim's Progress, just like you don't need to be a Greek or Hebrew scholar to read your Bible. You have it in your language. Certainly it might help, but read the, the text at face value. We can understand the truth conveyed through the normal means of human language. Simply read the book and ask questions. That's what we are going to do. Number two, understand Bunyan's apology. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's giving a defense. Okay? That's what I'm trying to get through uh, this morning. We'll see. Pray. Be praying even now. Um, trying to get through his defense. Uh, this is Bunyan telling us why he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. So we're like, I wonder why he did this. Well, congratulations. He gives you an answer. Here is why I wrote it. It becomes evident, as we're going to see, that Bunyan is seeking to communicate biblical truth in this allegorical or figurative way so that we better understand the Bible, okay? He's seeking to, he's giving, you know, like how pastors give illustrations to help you understand what they're trying to say, or with Mark, sometimes it makes it even more cloudy. Um, But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to give an illustration, here's what I'm trying to say, and clearly present the biblical truth. He's trying to do the same thing. Related to that, Bunyan's seeking to be persuasive, okay? He's not just stating facts for the simple state of stating the facts. He's trying to persuade us of those facts. He's trying to persuade us about the gospel and about the Christian life. More on that when we get through the book and the apology. And then number three, how should we study it? Well, we need to be familiar with grace abounding to the chief of sinners. What is that? Okay. This is Bunyan's spiritual autobiography. I'm not expecting all of you to read it at all. If you want to read it, that's great. Um, I'll try to bring in some of those useful facts when we get there. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners was written a few years before he writes The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a spiritual autobiography. A lot of it, Bunyan throughout all of his life, really, really struggled with assurance of salvation. Okay? And that's pretty much the vast majority of Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And you have to realize what's going on in Pilgrim's Progress is that he's actually not only describing the Christian life, he's describing his own. It's almost like a personal testimony, okay? I was shocked. I read Grace Abounding this last year, um, and I was shocked. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds really similar to Pilgrim's Progress. Oh, this does here too. Well, then you realize Grace Abounding is written written first. He's illustrating parts of his own life in Pilgrim's Progress, okay? So I'll bring those out when it's helpful. This is key as well. This is very key. Bunyan is not saying that this pilgrim's progress is exactly the way it goes for every Christian. Okay, did you get that? Pilgrim's progress, the book. He is not saying that this journey is the exact same for every single Christian. Okay, and that becomes evident where, how many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, part one? Has anyone in here read part two? A couple people. Okay, yeah, part two. Okay, I didn't even know there was a part two until a couple of years ago. Christiana, yes, his wife. Spoiler alert, uh, part one, he leaves his wife behind. For those of you are like, wow, that is terrible. Well, she eventually follows, okay? Um, so, yeah, part two. Well, there's differences in the story, okay? He's not, like, making substantial theological differences. He's trying to just say the progress of a Christian in this life is different for each Christian, okay? There are some theological truths that are the same, and we'll look at those, but also the differences, okay? So those are three reasons how seek to understand it on its own terms, understand his apology, be familiar with grace abounding. Why? Why are we here, right? Why should we study 
the Pilgrim's Progress. I'm going to give you four reasons. Certainly there could be more. Number one, it is thoroughly biblical. It is thoroughly biblical. You'll see this as we go through the book. It is biblical as Spurgeon uh, so clearly made that point. He, Bunyan just has a way of painting biblical pictures in a captivating way. Okay? I've struggled, I think I've read it four times now, especially this last time. I was just like, man, that's a really good way to talk about this theological truth. Um, he does a really good job. And as such, with it being thoroughly biblical, kind of a sub-point, it's applicable to today. Okay? It is applicable to today's audience. It's similar with the Bible, right? We don't need to make the Bible you know, relevant to today's audience. It is relevant. We need to actually make today's audience relevant to the Bible. We need to re-engage them with biblical truths and concepts. Um, and it's the same thing with Pilgrim's Progress. I think you're going to see this with the characters and the settings. I think you're going to resonate, man, you know, those characters faithful and hopeful. You know, I, I know someone like that who's faithful. Um, someone who is like that who's hopeful. Or maybe you're going to run into people like Ignorance or Mr. Worldly Wiseman, and you're like, that kind of reminds me of that friend from high school. Um, I mean, sadly, but that's the case. Um, you're going to read through these things, and you're going to see how they're applicable to all uh, generations. You're going to come to the hill of difficulty, and you're like, man, that sounds familiar. Or giant despair and doubting castle in particular. Um, and hopefully those, hopefully not doubting castle, but I think in reality we do experience doubt like that. Um, you'll see how biblical the truth is that he's conveying. Number two, it is doctrinally attractive. It is doctrinally attractive. It is clear from this book, and especially Bunyan's other writings, uh, that Bunyan comes from the Reformed Calvinistic tradition, okay? And he's also a Baptist, okay? Um, he loved the doctrines of grace, the sovereignty of God in salvation. And rather than that being cold or gloomy, like you're just like, ugh, can't believe we're going to talk about this. Ugh, it's going to be miserable. No, it's like he actually paints a very warm, loving, uh, gentle picture, if you will, of salvation, sanctification, and the Christian life. Um, the secular poet Samuel Coolridge, he said of Pilgrim's Progress, Calvinism never put on a less rigid form, never smoothed its brow, and softened its voice more winningly than in Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, just kind of a side note here, one helpful thing about Pilgrim's Progress is that if there's anything that's unclear, we have a vast treasury of all of Bunyan's other writings, okay? He didn't just write Pilgrim's Progress. He wrote a lot of other things. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. And as such, he was preaching and exegeting scripture constantly. And so we have all kinds of other books, okay? And so maybe, you know, you're going to read Pilgrim's Progress and you're like, man, like, Bunyan must have been, you know, like this, like, homeboy for Arminianism, like, free will. Like, he's telling you, you need to repent. He must be, you know, a free will Arminian guy. No. That is not true, okay? He makes it very clear that he believes in God's sovereignty and salvation. He believes in God's effectual calling, uh, the total depravity of mankind. And he also, because he's being biblical, preaches that and also that we are responsible to turn and come to Christ, right? So he's a helpful corrective for those of us if we undermine, uh, you know, the need of calling sinners to come to Christ. You get both the sovereign God in salvation and mankind's necessity to repent. In fact, one of his most well-known books um, is called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, which is just an exposition of John 6, 37. Um, Jesus is, you know, the bread of life discourse. And this is where Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, sovereignty of God and salvation, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So you see both clearly presented there. And uh, yeah, he loved to preach that verse. And we'll look at that again 
because he mentions that, he references that when we come to the wicket gate, which is where I will argue uh, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress actually gets saved at the wicket gate, not at the cross of deliverance. So preview of coming attractions, okay? If you've never heard that before. Number three, it clearly proclaims the need of sanctification or the need for sanctification, if you want to put it that way. When I was younger, I used to think Pilgrim's Progress was all about you know, salvation. It's an evangelistic tract. Bunyan's just trying to say, you know, I want to give this to people who don't know the Lord. That's true. That is a large part of it. He's trying to be evangelistic. But if Christian is saved at the wicked gate, or if he's saved at the sepulcher when he sees the cross, the vast majority of the book, essentially 80 or 90 percent of it, deals after his conversion. Okay? You track with me here. So it's not mainly about coming to Christ. It is that, and he is trying to persuade people to come to Christ, but he's also seeking to persuade us of something about the Christian life, and this is where it's relevant for all of us. You know, if we're claiming to be believers, walking in fellowship with the Lord, don't think, I don't need Pilgrim's Progress. No, you actually do. It's meant for you. It's meant for you to go on and grow in the Christian life. On this note, um, progress in the title doesn't just mean, um, you know, like pilgrimage, or, or, or journey or something like that. Because then it'd be like he's saying, you know, like the pilgrim's pilgrimage. Like the, you see what I'm saying? The title? Or it'd be like the journeyman's journey. Like it's like, well, duh, by nature of who he is, that's what he does. He's trying to emphasize the Christian's growth, the Christian's progress, a moving along in the Christian life, a growth in Christ likeness. That is what he's trying to say um, in the title. And you see this, you know, you'll see in the conversations that Christian has you know, with, with some of the people he encounters early in the journey, they're, they're fairly simple conversations and dialogue about the gospel and truths of religion. By the end, you know, he's having like full-on like theological discourse on like finer points of theology, okay? So you're seeing at the beginning of his journey, which is like all of us, right? We're, we're infants in Christ. We're drinking spiritual milk. We don't know a lot, right? Hopefully, in 20 years, you're understanding scripture more and how you can counsel others. You see what I'm saying? That's what's going on in Pilgrim's Progress as well. Final point here on this note of sanctification. Bunyan clearly deals with um, difficult aspects of the Christian life. Thinking of sorrow, despair, uh, depression, believers dealing with sin, right? Um, That's very much a clear point. There's no, you know, next level Christianity. Um, Horner on this note, on this point he has a really good quote, I'll just put it up here, um, where he's kind of critiquing Keswick, if you've never heard of that. It's kind of like this higher life theology. Uh, you know, it's very common in charismatic and Pentecostal circles where oftentimes it's accompanied, you know, with the rebaptism of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, all these things, where you've got basic Christianity. You and I are all down here. We're just, you know, normal Joe Schmo Christian, okay? But you can get to the next level, okay? You can get, you know, after the baptism of the Spirit, you can get all these things, and now you're you are a super saint, okay? Uh, I would argue that is unbiblical, and our church would. Um, and that is why we were talking about, you know, the Influencers Conference. Remember that? We're critiquing a lot of that. Uh, Horner has the same point. I thought this was really good. It is not pilgrimage on the high road or the phenomenal pilgrim, right? It's not this next level person, but the pilgrim's progress concerning participation in an endurance race that involves both entangling encumbrances and the goal of the embrace of Jesus Christ at the crossing of the line. This last part is really good. The the denial of such ongoing struggle 
and conflict in the Christian life is both self-delusive and spiritually counterproductive. Okay? If you think you're going to reach a point where you're free from these struggles, uh, you're in for a rude awakening and it's going to mess with your Christian walk. And so he talks about this. Christian, he struggles, I mean, he struggles so much with despair, they contemplate suicide. Okay? So like, if you're thinking like, oh, cute little Pilgrim's Progress kids book, suicide. Like, it's like, okay, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, this is for adults, right? There are truths that we can convey to kids, but I'm trying to argue he's writing for us, okay? Um, He struggles with contemplating suicide. Um, Hopeful is tempted to commit adultery with a seductive woman, okay? Um, They are ridiculed and chastised at Vanity Fair. They suffer so much faithful, sorry, spoiler alert, he's even killed for his faith, okay? So, like, this is serious Christian life struggles, sanctification, right? Uh, They sin as believers. They go down Bypath Meadow. It's a really sad time there. So it goes on and on. Okay, so these are real hard, difficult situations that believers deal with. Does that make sense? So sanctification is a central aspect of Pilgrim's Progress. Number four, this is just, it's a good story. Okay, it's a great story. Um, Did that pop up? Oh, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a great story. It is a great story. Story. Rereading it this last time in particular, I was struck. I've read this book before, and I was struck as like, I want to know what happens next. It's like, I know what happens next, but I still, I just want to keep reading, okay? Uh, it's good. It is well written. Um, I think one of the reasons why his book was so popular uh, in his day and throughout all of history is that it's well written, okay? Um, I'm not going to, I, I think in some of these things, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, okay? You know, so like, I am not going to be devastated if after this, you know, Pilgrim's Progress isn't in your top five all time. I will be devastated if it's not in your top three. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I get it, okay? I, it's, it's not like, I love it and you need to read it. You don't need to become Pilgrim's Progress evangelists, okay? Um, but I hope that the biblical truth that it conveys resonates with you, okay? I mean, that is why we're, we're doing this. The, the whole purpose is that the biblical imagery affects us. I mean, we only profit from Pilgrim's Progress, rightfully, uh, to the extent that the Bible is taught and we apply it and understand it. Does that make sense? Okay. So hopefully that is what you come away with, the biblical uh, truths that are conveyed. All right. Those are just some of the reasons on how and then why to study Pilgrim's Progress. Now I want to briefly talk about, we've got about 15 minutes, we're doing good. Briefly talk about the historical context and background. Okay. This is going to be very brief. Okay. If you want more on this, um, how many of you guys were in the, the Purit- introduction to the Puritans class? Quite a few of you. Yeah, okay. So you kind of have a leg up because we kind of spent, you know, the first three weeks there and also that whole class kind of introducing the Puritan landscape in England in the 17th, 15th, or 16th and 17th century. Um, I'm not going to do that here. This is going to be like five minutes. If you want more, go listen to those. Those are still online. That'll actually be really helpful. Those first three weeks were all historical background and introduction, okay? Bunyan is born in 1628 in England. Does anyone who's in that class remember who's the king at the time? I'm just kidding. It's okay. Nope, not James. Bad dude number one. Charles the first. All right. Charles the first, which by the way, if you're like, that picture looks familiar. Yes, I just recycled the pictures. Okay. Uh, Yeah, that is Charles the first. Charles the first. He begins reigning 1625. He and his archbishop, William Laud, let's just put it kindly, they have Catholic sympathies. Okay. They're sympathetic to the Catholics, according to the Puritans. They don't like them. 
They do not like what's going on in England. The reform that they have pushed for throughout the churches and in the land, they feel like Charles and Laud are stopping it. Things get to such a point that what actually breaks out? Civil war. Yes. Conflict. Yes. Things get so bad that civil war breaks out. The vast majority of the Puritans side with Parliament against the crown, against Charles I. Okay? Bunyan, uh, as we already mentioned, he was an uneducated tinker. He fixed pots and pans. Again, he's born 1628. Civil War breaks out in 1642. At the age of 16, he joins the parliamentary army against the crown. Okay? So he is in the army fighting against the crown. We actually aren't sure how much action he saw. We know this because in Grace Abounding, he mentions early on um, that when he was going off uh, to take part in a siege, he switched places with a sentry who was shot in the head and killed. And so if he would not have switched, he would have died. Okay? And so that particularly resonates with him, as you could imagine, right? Um, and he's not a believer at this point, um, but that really uh, shakes him up. And so eventually Parliament wins the war. They behead Charles I and Archbishop William Laud. The Puritans essentially have power to organize the church um, as they want. Oliver Cromwell uh, begins to rule. This is actually what we call the interregnum. It's this really unique time in England where they don't have a king or queen. They've just got a dude, um, Oliver Cromwell, um, who he is the Lord Protector um, of the realm. So he's not king or queen, okay? Cromwell, really good guy, okay? Now, maybe some of you are thinking, who are in that Puritans class, you're like, wait a minute. The Puritans didn't really like the Baptists, and John Bunyan is a Baptist. So how does he kind of rise to... to fame and prominence here? Well, good question. It's because under this time of Cromwell, there actually is religious toleration, okay? Not only for the Pado baptists right? Uh, but also for the Baptists. Um, even for some, what we would probably call cults today, like the Fifth Monarchists, um, Quakers, even those guys, they are all allowed to uh, worship freely under Cromwell. Uh, and so that is where Bunyan comes to prominence. He's allowed to join a Baptist church in Bedford, under the pastor John Gifford there during this time, really throughout much of his life, I already mentioned this, he struggles with assurance of salvation. You see this all throughout grace abounding. A key moment in his life comes when he hears four women outside of Gifford's Baptist church talking about Christ. They're talking about Christ and the reality of the new birth, and he's just shocked. He's like, man, I, I, I have not experienced this. Okay? That is a key point in his life. We'll talk on that uh, in, in weeks to come, probably. He eventually joins that Baptist church. He begins preaching in 1655. Yes? Wait, wait, what is the timeline with Milton? Milton would have been, um, I'm not actually sure in terms of when Paradise Lost is written. He's living during the 17th century because Milton had influence over Cromwell. Um, so I'm thinking well, they all had influence over, I mean, they were all interacting with each other. Um, so, yeah. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, the Puritans didn't like Baptists. Um, I don't know how else to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you had, again, this goes back to the history, but essentially what you had going on in England in the 16th, 17th century, the battle for the Church of England was pretty much church polity driven. Okay? It was driven by those who were congregationalists. Okay? So like our church is congregational, meaning the local, the, the church is autonomous, right? The church makes decisions for itself but they were pedo-baptist congregationalists, okay? So they would do everything we did, but they would baptize infants, okay? 
So you have Congregationalists, and then you have Presbyterians, okay, who are still Paedo-Baptists, uh, but they would argue, rather than the local church having autonomy, that there's the presbytery that has autonomy, meaning the pastors of those local churches have rule. Okay, so that, that's pretty much what's going on. The Baptists are pretty much off the scene until early, well, I mean, late 1500s, but they're pretty much a persecuted group in England um, up until this point, and even a little bit afterwards. But it, Baptists, um, Baptists in England really come to prominence in the 18th century, so 1700s moving forward, okay? But they start to have a lot more toleration. We'll get into Owen. John Owen liked the Baptist. He likes John Bunyan. Um, and so a lot more toleration. Okay. I got to keep going because I want to get through the historical stuff. Great questions. Great questions. Um, yeah. Everything's going well. It's, it's peaches and cream. Everything's great. The Baptists are ministering as they want. Except if you notice there, Cromwell dies. Okay. 1658. His son uh, rules briefly, and he just wasn't cutting it. Parliament and the people, they don't like what's going on. They want the crown to come back, and that's what happens. The, the king who they beheaded, they invite his son back, which I just think is kind of ironic. It's like, hey, I know we killed your father, but uh, you want to come rule over us? Um, that's rough. <laughs> okay, uh, so Charles II, he begins ruling, 1660. Charles II does not like the Puritans. He favors talking about church government, Episcopalian church government, which I'm not going to get into that, but all the Puritans don't like him. He doesn't like the Puritans. It's a mutual, uh, you know, disliking. And he pretty much says, pastors, you need to conform, do exactly what I'm telling you to do, or you guys are going to lose your pulpits. All the Puritans, they say fine. And over 2,000 Puritan pastors lose their pulpits, okay? They are pretty much forced out of the Church of England. Now, Bunyan was a Baptist, okay? As a Baptist, he was never even in the Church of England. He's always been a non-conforming, we'd say he's a dissenter, okay? He, he's, all, he's always doing his own thing, okay? Just by nature of being a Baptist. And so he's kind of on this short list for the crown to say, hey, we need to stop these guys, okay? These guys are so far out of bounds, okay? And this is where Bunyan is imprisoned for 12 years, okay? Bunyan is imprisoned from 1660 to 1672, okay? Now, it's not good, right? It's not good that he was in prison. Um, we do have instances where it's not like he was locked away forever. It actually seems that there were periods where he was permitted to go home and see his family for a little bit in that 12-year period. But at least it's not as bad as it was like under Bloody Mary, okay, where like you're being burned at the stake, okay? So things are not good in England, but they could be worse, okay? Look on the bright side, okay? Uh, but from all we can tell, it's during this time in prison that Bunyan writes Pilgrim's Progress. It's published, finally, in 1678, okay? So he's freed from prison in 1672, published in 1678 by a very curious publisher. It's published by Nathaniel Ponder. And you're like, oh, yeah, Nathaniel Ponder. No, I'm sure all you guys, I have no idea who that is, okay? Nathaniel Ponder was the publisher of John Owen's books, okay? Now, if you guys know John Owen, John Owen was England's premier theologian of the day, okay? He's respected by everyone. The people on his side, and even his opponents, they're like, hey, John Owen, I disagree with you, but my hat goes off to you, okay? England likes John Owen, okay? And Nathaniel Ponder is his publisher. Let me put two and two together here, okay? That's who Owen is. Bunyan is some uneducated pot fixer. How is that guy getting his books printed by Nathaniel Ponder? Probably because John Owen who we know was a friend of John Bunyan's, read Pilgrim's Progress, went to his publisher and said, you got to print this. Does that make sense? He's saying this is that good, okay? In Bunyan's apology, uh, he actually mentions that he gave an advanced copy 
uh, or advanced copies of the book to people, and they read it, and they were like, hey, you need to print this. Owen is probably one of those guys. Uh, we have accounts of they clearly had a mutual friendship at this time. Um, Owen actually eventually, towards the end of his life, he softened on uh, baptism. I think if he lived a little longer, he would have been a Baptist. I mean, it's just the Lord would have worked in that way. Um, but most famously, one that we can't prove to be true. It's one of those where I really wish it was true. And it's just like, ah, I hope it is. We don't know. Uh, but Owen, uh, who actually had influence, like I said, with the king, with King Charles, he was talking to Charles II about how much he loved Bunyan's preaching. Okay? And Charles responded. He asked him how he, Owen, who had so much learning could hear a tinker preach. A tinker preach. He's like, how can you listen to this guy? You know, just some educated bum. Okay? And Owen famously replied, may it please your majesty, had I the tinker's abilities for preaching, I would most gladly relinquish all my learning. And so um, that's throughout history, you know, kind of changed a little bit. Maybe he said, you know, if I had the, the preacher's ability for touching men's hearts. Um, we do know just from uh, documents from the time that Bunyan was regarded as a really good preacher. And so it's pretty powerful coming from Owen, right? Um, so again, we can't prove that to be true, but I really hope it is. Uh, one final thing I love about Bunny is that he doesn't fit the typical Puritan mold, right? He's a Baptist. He's already not your normal Puritan. He wasn't a Sabbatarian, okay? He didn't believe in the perpetuity of the Sabbath, um, you know, to where now, whereas all the Puritans did, generally speaking. Um, during the Lord's Day, you can't do anything except worship. Uh, Bunyan didn't see that, which I would agree with him on that. He differs um, on covenant theology, whereas the normal Puritans differ. He, he differs a little bit on the covenant of grace, which I think is a good corrective as well. Um, I mean, he just does a lot of things differently. Um, and I would argue he's a little more biblical um, on those things. Why is that? Well, he was uneducated, and all he really had was his Bible, okay? Uh, and so, I mean, we all know if all you have is your Bible, you're going to be a Baptist. Um, just kidding. Um, but uh, no, 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 I'm just kidding. He had other, he had, he had other books. He had other books as well. Okay. Uh, he was very much influenced by Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. Uh, he actually mentions that in his, um, uh, in Grace Abounding, that when he read Martin Luther's Galatians, it just, he, he felt like he was reading like autobiographies, like this man knows my soul. Um, so no, he did read other books, but seriously, he was a man of the Bible. He didn't have a perfect memory. I like this. And, uh, Grace Abounding, I think he does it a few times. He'll say, you know, Scripture says somewhere. Like, even he doesn't know Scripture references, okay? So, like, don't be hard on yourself, okay? He'll, he'll misquote Scripture. He'll say, like, this passage, and it's actually the wrong one. Um, it's okay. He was a man. He wasn't infallible like uh, the Word of God is. But he loved God. He loved his Word, and he loved the gospel of God's grace. And he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which we've got a few minutes. I'm a, are you guys okay if I have, like, ten minutes? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but they also Fisherman. commented that they've been with Jesus. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. You, you have uneducated guys and you have educated guys like Paul, right? The Lord can use both. Yeah. Cer- certainly not dissing education. Um, don't want to be doing that. Uh, we're going to dip into the apology real quick, okay? Can I have like 10 more minutes? Is that okay? We'll be done like 9.52? Okay. Too bad. You're stuck here anyways. We're going we're gonna to read it, okay? The apology real quick. I don't want to get too far into the book. Like I said, those of you guys want to get it and read along. By the way, we're not going to read the whole book in this class, okay? I, 
Probably what it'll be is like, hey, next week we're going to look at these sections. Hopefully you guys read it and we'll highlight it. Okay, does that make sense? We're not going to read the whole thing. Okay, just want to make some notes on the apology. So if you have your book, again, all the page numbers I'm going to put here are from Horner's edition. So this is page one here. Okay, when at the first I took my pen in hand, thus for to write I did not understand. By the way, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, the whole thing is not poetic like this. If it was, I would not read it either. Okay. Uh, when at the first I took my pen in hand, thus for to write I did not understand, that I at all should make a little book in such a style, no, I had undertook, to make another, which when almost done, before I was aware, I this begun. What's he saying? Well, he actually didn't really set out to write the Pilgrim's Progress. He was writing another book, probably, um, I think it's called The Heavenly Footman, on like 1 Corinthians 9, this uh, the imperative we have to run the race with endurance. He was a good soldier of Christ. He was writing that, and this book just kind of came into being. Okay? He just, it just kind of happened. He goes on. And thus it was, I writing of the way in race of saints in this our gospel day, talking about the other book he's writing, I fell suddenly into an allegory. He'll also call his book you know, a similitude, uh, a parable, a fable, something like that, okay? about their journey and the way to glory. In more than 20 things, which I set down, this done I 20 more had in my crown. And they again began to multiply like sparks that from the coals of fire do fly. He just kept writing the ideas. He kept writing the scenes, the characters. And he's like, man, like a story's coming together here, right? Oops. Here we go. Well, so I did, but yet I did not think to show to all the world my pen and ink. In such a style, I only thought to make. I knew not what, nor did I undertake. Thereby to please my neighbor? No, not I. I did it my own self to gratify. So notice that the book here is born just out of self-interest, right? Like he's like, I was just writing this and I just wanted to write it, okay? He didn't set out to make a bestseller. He wasn't even intending other people read it, okay? He's just a creative mind and creative minds do strange things sometimes. They write long, epic books, okay? Um, I mean, even the secular world notices this. That's not from a, a monetary point of view. Um, he's just a brilliant, poetic mind. He has another book. Um, I'm not going to quote it, but he has another book for kids. It's really good. It's called A Book for Boys and Girls or Temporal Things Spiritualized. And he takes all these little things, you know, that kids can understand. You know, he talks about a bee, you know, and a bee, you know, they make honey and honey's really sweet. But if you go for the honey, you're going to get stung. And he uses that to teach, and it's all in poetry, how that's kind of like sin, Right. It's really sweet, but if you go for it, you're going to get stung. Um, you know, what you actually need to do is kill the bee. Um, and uh, it's like, oh, wow, that's good. He had all kinds of those. So it's a good little book if you guys want to look at that. So you see, he's just a master illustrator here. He loves talking about this. It's self-interest for fun is where it's born out of. Well, when I had thus put my ends together, I showed them others that I might see whether they would condemn them or them justify. And some said, let them live. Some let them die. Some said, John, print it. Others said, not so. Some said, it might do good. Others said, no. Now, was I in a strait or a plight conundrum and did not see which was the best thing to be done by me? At last I thought, since you are thus divided, I will print it. And so the case decided. So some are saying, hey, don't print this book, man. Don't like it. And others are like, hey, print it. It might do some real, it might do some real spiritual good. You should print it. And he's like, okay, you know what? The best test is to print it, right? If I print it and no one likes it, we know it's junk, okay? That doesn't happen. It goes through, I don't know how many editions in the first year. I want to say six editions um, or printings. The chief objection 
to Pilgrim's Progress is that it's dark, it's mysterious, it's, it's cloudy, it's vague. Like, why are you writing in this allegorical way? It's unclear. And so he begins in this defense to, you know, go against those, to respond. He says, may I not write in such a style as this, in such a method too, and yet not miss? Mine end, your good. Why may it not be done? Dark clouds bring waters when the bright bring none. Notice here, this is important. What's the end goal? What's his purpose? Yes, it was born of self-interest, but why does he write it? Why is he publishing it? What does he say? Your good, right? He's trying to convey spiritual good. Like I said, it's not just for fun. He's actually trying to, as he goes on, which we'll look at, to be persuasive about the Bible and the gospel. And they'll say, hey, it's unclear. You shouldn't write in this figurative way. Look at what he says. Why may it not be done? Dark clouds bring waters when the bright bring none. You know, like a dark cloud. I mean, we just saw this last night. Yeah, you know, it's dark and cloudy, ah, but it brings rain. And that's good. We need that. It actually yields fruit. And so maybe in someone's studying of Pilgrim's Progress, it'll actually bring forth fruit. He goes on. You see the ways the fisherman does take to catch the fish. What devices he does make. Behold, how he engages all his wits, also his snares, lines, angles, hooks, and nets. Yet fish there be that neither hook nor line, nor snare nor net nor device uh, can make thine. They must be groped for and be tickled too, or they will not be caught, whatever you do. All right, I like this illustration. I grew up fishing, um, and so I like this here. I think he's alluding to uh, the Lord calling his disciples to be what? Fishers of men, right? I think that's an illusion here. He has an evangelistic intent in this book. He's not just stating the facts. He is going to use all his gospel wits and devices, his line, if you will, to try and persuade people of the truth of the gospel. He even talks about how some need to be groped and tickled. You know, like, have you ever seen those guys, what do you call it, noodling, you know, for catfish? They stick their hand in there and it's like, hey, you cannot pay me to do that. But they do that. You know, he's like, I think what he's saying here, it's a good lesson for us in thinking through sharing the gospel. We ought to be persuasive. We need to be persuasive with the truth of the Bible. We need to find compelling ways to make the truth clear such that they are pressed to respond, right? We're not talking about, um, you know, underhanded, cunning ways. I mean, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians, right? We refuse to tamper with the truth, okay? But Paul was persuasive, you know, based on his different audience. He was bringing different truths of the gospel and the Bible to bear on them. And we should do uh, the same. He goes on to argue that the Bible at times uses, you know, types, shadows, metaphors, parables. Why can't I? My dark and cloudy words, they do but hold the truth as cabinets enclose the gold. The prophets used much by metaphors to set forth truth. Yes, whoso considers. Christ, his apostles too, shall plainly see that truths to this day in such garments be allegory. can be like the garment that is clothing the truth. He's almost done here. He says, come truth. Although in swaddling clothes, I find, informs the judgment, rectifies the mind, pleases the understanding, makes the will, submit the memory to it does fill. With what our imagination does please, likewise it tends our troubles to appease. He says, biblical truth conveyed in this way. It pleases the understanding. It makes the will submit. You know, illustrations have a way of sticking with us. They're easier to remember. He wraps up kind of this final commendation. This book will make a traveler of you, if by its counsel you its rules do, will do. It will direct you to the Holy Land, if you will its directions understand. Yes, it will make the slothful active be, the blind also delightful things to see. This book can show you the path to heaven. 
you can understand the progress, the journey, the pilgrimage that you need to take. It will make the lazy active respond rightly. It will make the blind see. It can save your soul. He ends by asking some questions. He says, would you see a truth within a fable? Would you be in a dream and yet not sleep? Oh, then come hither and lay my book, your head and your heart together. Okay? The truth needs to, yes, you need to understand it, but you also need to embrace the truth. You need to respond rightly. Chapter 1, first page, he begins, As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came upon a certain place where there was a den, a jail. And I lay down in that place to sleep, and as I slept, I dreamed a dream, and I leave you there. Cliffhanger. What is going to happen next? Okay. If you want to read ahead, uh, you might want to read through the slew of despond. We won't get that far, probably, but... um, you know, maybe read the next 10 pages or something like that. What's going to happen in this dream? You're dismissed. If you have any questions, I am more than happy to talk to you.